We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Studying verses 16 through 23, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 this morning. And as you're taking just a moment to, to find that passage and, and get there with me, you may know that sometimes when you hear debate, whether that be political debate or any form of persuasive argument, that the one thing they tell us to look out for is something called a red herring. Now, what is a red herring? Well, to know what that is, you've got to trace back the history. Um, there used to be dog trainers that would, as they were training a dog to be on the scent of a certain animal, normally pack dogs that would follow certain animal scent, what they would do is they were training that dog is obviously you would start with the animal they were wanting them to trail. They would make sure they had that scent, and then they would use that scent throughout the woods to teach the dog to trail the animal. But what eventually they would do as the dogs progressed, and as they progressed in their training, is they would take a red herring. A red herring is a, a very stinky fish. Uh, in fact, very pungent, very strong. Uh, you may have even seen it even now in the grocery store. that They make like canned red hair canned herring or pickled herring i don't know why anyone would ever take a bite of it um, if you smell it it's pungent it's strong so they would use this intentionally and they would take these red herrings and they would drag them across scent trails so that as the dogs were trailing whatever animal they were being trained to trail they would come across the scent of this red herring and it would divert the dogs so that the trainers could know that the dogs weren't ready yet, that they had to be trained, that even when they came across another scent, to move through that, to track through that, to look for the original scent that they were supposed to trail. And the reason in debate it's come to be known as a red herring is if people are arguing over a subject and then someone throws something out of left field all of a sudden in the debate and the debate gets sidetracked and they start talking about things that had nothing to do with the original subject. Have you seen that happen? That's called a red herring. Well, what we know is that in our spiritual lives that there are a lot of red herrings that exist because you and I are doing the very best we can, aren't we, to try to follow Jesus. We're trying to stay focused. We're trying to stay on the trail. We're trying to keep our eye on the prize, as the Bible says, the prize set before us. We're looking towards Jesus. But how many of you know that throughout the course of your Christian life, there have been red herrings? There have been things that have come across the trail that have gotten you distracted, things that have kept you from really focusing on Christ. And instead of staying on the road that you should have been on, you got diverted. What Paul is talking about here in these few verses of Colossians are the red herrings that exist in our faith. The things that the, while we're on the road, if we're not careful, they'll pop up and they will distract you. And so what we're going to look at today are, are three of the biggest red herrings that you can encounter in trying to follow Jesus. The things that will get you off track. And one of the things that you'll notice, I think, as we read this together, is that there really are no new problems. There's no new heresy. It's all old, and when we study this, remember that it's 2,000 years old, but you're going to be shocked at just how much this is applicable because I told you there's no new problems, no new heresies. There's just a rebranding, and some of these have been rebranded in a brand new way, but they're still red herrings just like they were then. 
So if you want to stay focused on Jesus and you want to stay, remember, not to get sidetracked, let's figure out how to do that together by standing and reading the Word of God. Colossians chapter 2, we begin reading in verse 16. Remember that he has told them about Jesus Christ winning and making a spectacle over everything that stood opposed to him by the power of the cross. And so in verse 16, you reach a therefore. I've told you this many times before, but I will remind you, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you should always, always, always find out what it's there for. It is leading to a very important conclusion. So let's start at therefore, verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Lord, teach us today that there are dangers that can ruin our faith that must be avoided at all costs. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, please be seated. So there are dangers that can ruin your faith, and they must be avoided at all costs. These are the red herrings we were just talk on, talking about. So we're going to point out three of them together today. You're going to notice that the first and the third one have, are very, very similar, but we've separated them out. Another thing you're going to notice today is that, that when you see these points flash up on the screen, there are going to be a couple of bigger words. Um, when you see them, you're going to see some kind of $5 theological terms that are up there. And the reason for that is I think it's important sometimes for us to, to grasp and be able to define these. They're not hard to understand. The word themselves are maybe a little bit bigger or a little bit more difficult, but the understanding of them as a world philosophy, of a life philosophy, of a false religious system is huge. Now, the first one you've heard of many, many times before, and that is, number one, the danger of legalism. The danger of legalism. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. You see that, therefore, he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow. That's an important word. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found where? In Christ. All throughout the New Testament, that prepositional phrase, in Christ, is absolutely essential because it defines who we are. You had to say your identity. It, if you are a believer, if you were justified, if you were born again, if you are redeemed, it is that you are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, the Bible says there is a danger to legalism. Now, legalism is not just something that the Christian faith deals with. In fact, we've mentioned before that every other faith is a legalistic faith because legalism is really defined as the religion of human achievement. 
What can I do to earn favor with deity? The religion of human achievement. In the Christian realm, it is Christ plus works. It is salvation plus works. We talked about circumcision last week. There's always been, and the church will always fight until Jesus brings it home, the, the temptation for people who encounter the gospel to take the gospel and then want to add to the gospel. And by adding to the gospel, that is so that someone can actually find them, themselves in self-righteousness. Now, why would that be a temptation? If you've encountered grace, why would you ever want Jesus plus anything or Jesus and anything? And the reason is, is because legalism makes sense to people. Works make sense to people. Ladders make sense to people. Being able to move up and down and someone being better than the other and being able to achieve because everything else we know of is really achieved by works. Grades, works. Athletics, works. Salary, works. Everything in our life is somewhat legalistic. So when we come to the faith, we understand why it's a temptation, but we also must understand why it's so dangerous. Because when you take Christ plus work, Christ plus man-made rules, Christ plus external performance or standards or rituals, you, you could say this, we've all been tempted before to turn religion into do's and don'ts. That if you do these things and you don't do these things, then you are someone who is a Christian. If you practice these things and don't practice these others, then you are qualified as a servant of God. If you wanted to, to move it from do's and don'ts, from this passage specifically, you could say it be diet and days. Uh, what you eat and, and, and the practices you go to or the Sabbath observances or the festivals that you go to, that those external rituals or external works are what are going to make you good with God. But let's talk about it for just a moment because he talks about diet. Don't let anyone judge you because of what you eat or drink. Some of you are like, praise God. But what's he talking about specifically? He's talking about Old Testament dietary laws. Let me give you a couple in the South that would throw a lot of you way off if we practice them. Number one, pork. Out. No bacon, no sausage, no ham, no pork chops. That's Old Covenant dietary laws. No pork. Also in the South, it would do you well to hear this, that also means no catfish. Because catfish do not have a scale. So you are not allowed by old covenant standards to eat catfish. Some of you are like, I'm not in any danger of practicing this at all. But it was all about diets and days. And the reason that people wanted to do that is they wanted to say, yes, I'm saved by grace, but I also want to be ranked. In other words, I'm a better Christian than you because not only do I have Jesus, but I also practice these special days and I also still practice the Sabbath and I also still eat what the old covenant ate and Paul is coming in and saying you're not only that this isn't an addition this is a subtraction from the gospel because the old covenant diet was no longer in force you remember Peter's vision in Acts and Peter looks up and all of these unclean animals are coming out of heaven and what does God say take and eat it was a visual representation that no longer was it going to be by external standards. Also, when we see these festival days, it's not that they aren't still holy days, but there is a reason why we don't celebrate all of the festival days in the Old Testament. If you've read, read through the Pentateuch, you may go, wow, it seemed like every other day they had some 
something that they were supposed to be doing. Every month there was a different festival. And sometimes people may wonder, I wonder why we don't practice those anymore. Well, there's a reason that we don't. It's because Christ fulfilled them all. It's because in Christ, He is our Passover Lamb. It's because in Christ, He is now our Sabbath rest. That in Christ, that little two-word phrase I mentioned to you, all of those festivals have been fulfilled. And, and what about the Sabbath? What about the Sabbath? The Sabbath is technically what day? Saturday. What day is it today? Y'all got that? I, that's fantastic. Good. Yesterday was Saturday. Were any of you up here yesterday? I mean, you may have been, but, but to come to church? Probably not. And there's a reason for that. In the Ten Commandments, if you walk through the Ten Commandments, there is only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated in the New Testament after Pentecost. Every single one of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament except for one. And that commandment is what? The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What we know is that it was not practiced at all by the New Testament church. What we know is that all of these things that we are talking about were what were called shadows. Now, think about a shadow for just a moment. To have a shadow, what must you also have? Can y'all see mine? I don't know if you can see it. I, it's, it's right behind me. It goes right here. That's my shadow. If you find anything else up here that you can see the shadow of, to be able to see the shadow, what has to happen? The real thing has to be standing there. How weird would it be for my shadow to be here and me not be here? That's, that would be extremely odd because it can't exist without my presence. It's my shadow. So when we say all of these things are shadows, they are shadows of what? When Jesus Christ comes in the flesh, John 1.1, what we know is that now that the reality is in Christ and everything else is a shadow that points to the person of Jesus. Now, a lot of times as people think about legalism, the, the immediate question that we have is, say, wait a minute, we still do, we still practice some ceremonies, we, we still practice some things, well, what about baptism? What about the Lord's Supper? Those are good questions. What about baptism and the Lord's Supper? Baptism and the Lord's Supper are still shadows, but watch this. They are not shadows that are a means of grace. Now, this is really important. This is huge. There are certain denominations, many in fact, that teach that baptism and the Lord's Supper are sacraments. Now, there is a big difference in a sacrament and an ordinance. When we say a sacrament, a sacrament means that they believe that taking communion or being baptized actually conveys grace. So that by being baptized, it is necessary to be baptized, whether that's through immersion or sprinkling, to receive the grace of God. They also believe that taking the Lord's Supper, Roman Catholics believe in what's called transubstantiation, that you are actually receiving grace by taking the Lord's Supper, that you are, that God is putting more grace upon you because you take it. That's why many take it every single week, because they want to receive more and more grace every week. What we believe is that they are but shadows and not the reality because they are not a means of grace, they are a symbol of grace. 
Now, there's a big difference in something. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Like, I'm just, I know it's early. Y'all with me? Okay. A means of grace means that by taking it that we are receiving grace. When we say that it's a shadow, it is a symbol of grace that's already been given. The reason that we don't baptize until someone is saved is because the baptism has absolutely nothing to do with the salvation. The baptism has everything to do with a symbol of what God has already done by rescuing them from the dominion of darkness and placing them in the kingdom of light, by cleansing them and by making them born again or becoming a new person in Christ. So it's a symbol, it's a shadow. Same thing with communion. When you take the Lord's Supper, you are not physically receiving the body of Christ or physically drinking His blood. It is a symbol of what Christ did on the cross and is a symbol of how we became saved. So when we understand that, we understand they're not means of grace, but show us what has already been done. So what we're seeing through this is that when we understand the danger of legalism, we understand that true spirituality is not about keeping external rules, but it is about a relationship with Christ. Now, we've got to be careful with this because if you throw out any rules altogether, then what happens? You end up with a Romans 6 situation. What's a Romans 6 situation? Is a group of people saying, hey, we can live and do whatever we want to do because Christ is going to forgive us anyway. So you've got two sides of the pendulum. You've got legalism that thinks you have to earn your salvation. And then on the other side, you have people that abuse grace that say, live however you want, it doesn't matter. So if I'm to understand true spirituality, it doesn't come through rules and rituals, but because I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not doing what I do to try to earn his favor. I'm doing what I do because I already have his favor, because I've, he already is in love with me and I'm in love with him. And so because of that, I want to do certain things that honor and please him. It's dangerous when we talk about when legalism creeps into an individual life, when it creeps into a church, because legalism always, always, always spawns judgmentalism because it demands uniformity and it produces a joyless surface faith. It inflates the ego and makes a person content in their self-righteousness. Because if I can prove to myself and maybe prove to you that I'm better than you and I'm more spiritual than you because certain things I practice, then all of a sudden the self-righteousness comes aboard and that is the exact opposite of the gospel. Because if you understand the gospel, you have the attitude of Paul, of sinners I am the worst. If you rank me, I'm at the bottom. And if you truly understand what Jesus did for you, you're never going to stand before anyone and look down on them because you're going to understand who you are and what God rescued you from. And that's why legalism is so dangerous when it creeps in. Have any of you seen like one of these National Geographic specials on something called a puffer fish? Y'all know what I'm talking about? A puffer fish? Have you heard of this? Crazy little fish. They can inflate themselves to like to a hundred times their size they go from this big and they just blow up and the reason they blow up is they're trying to intimidate another fish that would eat it but not only do they blow themselves up but they also have toxins in them that are so strong that they can actually kill a human that's how strong the poison is that are in these puffer fish as you think about a puffer fish that's what legalism is in the church 
It's when somebody puffs themselves up to look like they're bigger than they are and they're better than they are and they're more righteous than they are. And then when that takes place and other people grab hold of them because somehow they've led everybody to believe they're more spiritual than everybody else, then the toxin out of that same puffer fish leaks into the people that are around them and it will kill a church. So let me say it loud and clear. If you're a puffer fish, either repent and change your life or find somewhere else to poison because we are not going to be a people that tolerate a legalistic form of self-righteousness. Number two, number two, that's the danger of legalism, but number two is the danger of mysticism. Mysticism, that's not a word that you use often. That's okay. Um, it's really not very complicated. You'll see it in verses 18 and 19. He said, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, notice that word false, false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head. Notice that is talking about Jesus Christ from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. What is mysticism? When I tell you it is alive and well, it is alive and well and maybe more dangerous than legalism in the modern day church. Mysticism is the pursuit of deeper, higher, subjective religious experience that is removed from the intellect. It's even removed from the natural senses. It emphasizes looking internally. It's about feelings. It's about intuition. It is the opposite of looking for objective truth. So the authority now becomes independent of the Word of God or God Himself, and authority becomes completely dependent on the individual. And the reason that mysticism is so dangerous is because if true believers buy into it, they will be defrauded by believing that these mystics are super spiritual. You, you may have met people before or heard of people before that are always talking about some inner experience, some deeper experience that nobody else has had. They've had some vision that no one else has had, that the reason that they ought to be leaders or they ought to be in authority is because they have some inner connection and experience God in ways that other people don't experience God. Let me tell you, that is a dangerous, dangerous line of thinking, and it is alive and well. And it's not just in charismatic places. It's found its way into Southern Baptist churches all over our country. And what happens is we then elevate those people to places of leadership because we say, well, they're dreaming dreams and seeing visions and having these odd encounters with God. I'm not having that. So they must be somewhat so spiritual. And I don't know of anybody else who's ever had that either. But they're seeing things in the clouds and getting these weird messages from the Lord and they're seeing things in places I never see anything so let's elevate them and give them places of leadership and what we have just done is we've taken the authority away from God and away from scripture and put it in the hands of people that we can't authenticate anything they've said you realize how dangerous that is I get up here and tell you that last night I had had a vision and this and this happened and I had a dream. Well, I might have eaten something right before I went to bed. Uh, right? 
That's ridiculous. And one of the reasons that it's ridiculous is that we are buying into something that is dangerous. And that is that we have an incomplete gospel and an insufficient Bible. And I believe that we have a sufficient gospel and an authoritative, inspired, inerrant word. So that everything that gets judged is judged by Scripture. Now, by the way, we've talked about these puffer fish. We've talked about people that are filled with false humility. Did you see that? This is, this is a bogus form of humility. That's popular in our day, too, to say, well, I'm just so humbled to receive this award. I hear that all the time. No, you're not. You're proud to receive the reward. We've got this air of false humility, which is exactly what he's describing. And, and so if everyone buys into that, then all of a sudden everybody's looking for these mystical experiences and, and these strange dreams. And we start finding weird, weird spiritual ties to certain everyday events. Have you heard people, have you, have you heard this before? Oh, I bent down and I found a penny on the ground and I looked up and it was dated 1991 and I realized in 1991 that's when such and such happened and because that's when that happened I knew God was sending me a message to go back to... No, you picked up a penny! You just picked up a penny! And I'm not saying that we don't look for the Lord in modern and everyday circumstances but when we become fanciful in every interpretation... It becomes very, very odd. The problem with these people is that they, that they actually believe their own press. I believe that some people have done that for so long that they actually believe they're having some of these experiences. Now, before I go any further, l- let me just say, I'm not telling you that God has not ever dealt with you personally in a very personal way. He's a personal God, and you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And God speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen to me, if your experience is not normative, then don't use that experience to try to make yourself hyper-spiritual so that you use it as a bogus form of humility to talk about the way the Lord dealt with you when that's not the way the Lord deals with everybody normally. Sometimes the Lord deals with us, and do you know that there are some moments with the Lord, and I'm required to preach two and three times a week, and there have been some special times with Jesus that are none of your business. You know what I mean by that? That's not because I don't love you or that I'm not an open book, but I, everything that happens in your relationship with the Lord, sometimes the Lord can, can, can do things in your life, and it doesn't need to immediately become something that you shout from the rooftop so people go, oh, well, look at them. Look at what the Lord did with them and in their life. Sometimes you need to allow the Lord to work in your life and stick to teaching and preaching and sharing this the word of god talks about angel worship you say well you know we don't see that today well yeah we do um that that, that's alive and well too and i think that's odd because you'd have to not have a bible to even listen to somebody that talks about that john was rebuked in revelation 19 he tried to worship an angel and he told him real quick don't worship me i'm a worshiper myself And, and Anytime you have a red herring, it tries to get you off track, and eventually it'll get you off track to where you're worshiping something that you're not supposed to be worshiping. When the focus shifts from Christ and the focus shifts from His Word into experience, we can become threatened, we can become intimidated, and we need to know that there is no deficiency in Scripture. 
if you never have a quote-unquote vision or you never have a dream, do you know what? It's quite all right because you have a complete gospel. I am tired, tired, tired of listening to people give fanciful visions and interpretations of spirituality that don't read their Bible regularly. We have what we need. We start here. We start in the Word of God, and I want to tell you, you want to have an awesome experience with the Lord. You want to have a miraculous experience with the Lord. You want God to capture your heart and convict your sin and comfort you. Read your Bible. Open your Bible and study your Bible, and it is complete. It is sufficient, and so we're thankful for that. We don't need fresh words. We have a complete word. So there's a danger of legalism. There's a danger of mysticism. But there's also, in the last few verses, a danger of what's called asceticism. The danger of asceticism. Now, that's a word, I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've ever used that word in conversation. So if you haven't either, you join the club. But what it's talking about, and it talks about it in verses 20 through 23, is these people that still act like they belong to the world, verse 20, and the way they show that is that they don't handle, they don't taste, they don't touch. And what it's talking about is people who try to impose not just legalism, but rigorous self-denial, whether that's through diet or poverty or even self-harm. There are people in South America that still nail themselves to crosses and who get whipped and flagged. And the reason they do that is they think it's going to bring them closer to the Lord because they are now practicing what you could consider a hyper form of legalism, that I'm going to force God's hand to act in my life by denying certain things or inflicting suffering on myself in a certain way. But the problem with that is it goes all the way back. Do any of you remember we, we did a series, we walked through the life of Elijah? And do you remember when Elijah steps up and the prophets of Baal and this awesome 1 Kings 18 passage and he challenges them and the Baal prophets are going to call out and then Elijah is going to call out. What does it say that the Baal prophets did? That is they danced around and screamed and prayed that they took swords and they cut themselves. That's a form of asceticism because they're trying to force their God to act because of their acts of service or their willingness to mutilate themselves. The beautiful thing about the gospel and the understanding is that the gospel is the only thing that tames the beast within. It doesn't matter if you locked yourself in a closet or stayed on the top of a mountain or cut yourself or starved yourself or renounced yourself unto poverty. None of those things will get you in with God. None of it. You can't do enough. And so the gospel is the only thing that tames the beast within. One of the things that you could realize is you could do all of those things. You could practice every form of asceticism that there is. And then at the end of the day, what would happen? You would end up even further from the Lord because you would recognize that what you truly needed was to renounce your sin and understand that in your life that you needed forgiveness by the power of the gospel. It doesn't mean that spiritual discipline isn't a good thing. It absolutely is. We need to have spiritual disciplines in our life. But believing that you can force God's hand by certain demonstrations, even if you're not someone who takes it to the extreme of the Baal prophets, I think sometimes far too often 
we do form, fall to forms of asceticism because we make these weird little promises to God. God, if you, I'll do this if you'll do this. You know what I'm talking about? It, 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 God, it, I, I'm going to do this for you, and then you're going to do this for me. There is nothing we can do to manipulate the Holy One. And when we understand that, we come before Him, and the reason that He does anything for us is because of His grace and out of His sovereign decision-making. It isn't because you, in your natural-born will, can make a holy God do anything. So, as we take these three things together, uh, I want you to know the, the reason that they are so dangerous. Why these red herrings are so dangerous. If a, a man was to serve 30 years of a pr prison sentence, and then he went before the parole board, and, and, and the parole board listened to his case, and the parole board decided that they were going to allow him to be released from prison. And so his family's standing outside the jail, and they're ready to welcome him. They're ready to bring him home. And, and he walks outside into the light of day and into freedom. But immediately when he sees freedom, he turns around, and he goes back, and he starts beating on the door of the jail and saying, No, no, I won't back in. Please don't make me go out here. I want back in prison. I want to get back in jail. All three of the things that are listed on these, this screen is the equivalent of somebody having encountered freedom and then beating on the jail and saying, let me back in. Let me get imprisoned again. That's how dangerous they are. I mentioned shadows. Mine's still there. You know, pictures are great. My guess is that if any of you right now picked up your phones, I'm guessing that there's not some, anyone in here who doesn't have thousands of them on their phone. So pictures are fantastic. I love pictures. But think about if you were to take pictures and you were to take them and you were to get them developed. And let's just say you got them developed in life-size pictures, big, big, tall pictures that everybody that you had pictures of, especially the people you're real close to in your life, you had a picture made of them, and then you set up those pictures. Well, that's kind of odd in and of itself. If you walked into your house and you had like life-size pictures of all of your family, that would be weird. But here would be what would even be weirder. What if I walked into your house and your family was there, but as I watched you and I sat down in the den and watched you interact, you had quit interacting with your real-life family, and the only ones you talked to were the cardboard cutouts. And you looked and said, and, you'd, and I'd be thinking, what, what are they doing? Oh, they've lost their mind. They've completely gone crazy. They're talking to a picture. They're now relating to a picture instead of the real thing. That's exactly what any form of religion tries to do instead of relating to the person of Christ, you're relating to the picture, you're relating to the shadow because you allowed a red herring to take you away from the reality and the beauty and the glory and the grace of the true gospel. Friends, hear me when I say this. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray today that we would be a church unsidetracked by red herrings. Lord God, I pray that we would be a church that we keep our eye on the prize. 
Lord, I pray that we would be a church who would understand that you, Lord Jesus, are sufficient, that you, Lord Jesus, are enough. God, that we wouldn't be burdened. That we wouldn't be distracted by the legalism or the mysticism or the asceticism that plagues our day. But Lord, as we look to you, Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we would understand that you do hear us from heaven. And you hear us from heaven not because of our legalistic works or our diets or the days that we observe, not because we've seen some fresh vision or had some strange dream, not because we've abused ourselves or made ridiculous sacrifices. But God, you hear us from heaven because of Jesus. The curtain is torn. The Holy of Holies is open. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful. So thankful it's not my righteousness. Lord, if I had to do enough to earn your favor, I'd go straight to hell. Of that, I'm well aware. So I'm very thankful today. Thankful for the blood. Thankful for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your mercy. And so, Lord Jesus, may we be a people that never get sidetracked, but we focus on you totally and completely and cry out to you that, Lord, you may hear us from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.